welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Upstairs in Big Church, we want to open up our Bibles to my favorite book in the Bible, and that is the book of Luke. Luke is my favorite book of the Bible, and you'll see why, and it is a, a, a message for us, what we call the Emmaus Road. The Emmaus Road, you've probably heard of this uh, before, right after Jesus was resurrected. This is a, what we call a post-resurrection appearance. Jesus was resurrected on Sunday morning. That's the first day of the week. And he appeared to the women who came to the tomb, and he told the women, he says, you go tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. Galilee was his home base of ministry. So what happened was he went ahead and was heading there to Galilee to meet his 12 or his 11 disciples at that point. That's where he was wanting to talk with them. So he would travel from Jerusalem up north to Galilee. Well, on his way, he would pass through a little village, which is seven miles from Jerusalem, called Emmaus. And he's going to walk along this road. He's going to meet these two disciples. And we don't know, we only know one of their names is Cleopas, and the other is unnamed. And the goal of this message, and what Christ wants to teach us, is to have a burning heart, how to have our eyes open, and to have a passion for God. And these people here were discouraged because of what had happened to Jesus. But Jesus is going to confront them, and it's going to totally change their deme demeanor. Many times in our life, we can uh, have times or periods or seasons of discouragement. This past week, I was looking at the most famous of all, um, all American citizens in U.S. history. So, of all the Americans I've ever lived since we've been a country, who would you think is the most famous? Not number two or three, but number one. It's not George Washington, our first president. He's number two. Number one is Abraham Lincoln. He is considered the most famous American, Abe Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln in the early 1800s was born right down the road here in LaRue County, Kentucky, near Hodgensville. He was born there on Sinking Creek Farm. He had a farm. His family had some brothers and sisters. But then something discouraging and a setback in his life uh, happened to him. They were part of what they call separate, separate Baptist churches. Now we call them independent Baptists. But back in those days, they were separate Baptist churches where uh, he was a member of him and his family. When they were, he was seven years old, he had to move north to Spencer County, Indiana. And the reason he moved there was because his family lost their land. They got in some land dispute, title dispute over the land, and they lost it. They, so and that's, that, back then, that you were, everybody was a farmer, so they, they lost their livelihood. It was really, they were very poor, extremely poor. And then they uh, had a major setback losing their land, so they had to move north. Another reason they moved north, they wanted to cross the Ohio River, is because of slavery. They knew slavery was wrong, because he, he was born in a devoutly religious family that loved the Lord. And they, they read their Bible and they saw that. 
and they recognize, you know, we want to go up north where slavery is, uh, is against the law. So they crossed the Ohio River to go there. But the main reason was actually they lost their land. They, they couldn't farm anymore. And so Abraham Lincoln, the most famous of all Americans, born here in Kentucky, he had, he had a tough beginning as a child. I mean, they, he, he started out in a hole. I mean... The hometown that he grew up in, he had to leave and go north. And what we're going to see right here is just because maybe at one point in our life we have something discouraging or we have a setback or we have uh, something occur that didn't go our way, that should not define the rest of who we are. And especially as believers, because Jesus is going to meet these two people traveling along this road, the Emmaus Road, his little town, and he is going to change their lives forever. And when you and I meet Christ, he changes our life just as well. So we're going to read in our Bibles here, Luke chapter 24, verse 13. I want you to follow along. Now that same day, so that day is Resurrection Day. That is last Sunday. That's what we call Easter. That is the day of the Lord's Day that Jesus came out of the tomb. We celebrated that last week. Two of them, these are the two disciples headed to uh, Emmaus. Two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing, discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. Notice they were, they were arguing. So these two disciples, they're sitting there, they're leaving Jerusalem, they have great disappointment because Jesus did not live up to their expectations of what they were hoping for. And they're arguing about it, they're talking about all this, and all of a sudden, this stranger comes up and starts talking to them and wants to know, and he's about to ask, what are you all talking about? Well, you and I both know, if you're walking down the street or you're at the park somewhere, and some stranger just walks up to you and starts talking to you. You're looking like, why are you butting in my conversation? Who are you? Where did you come from? Is this your business? Like, that's how typically we would respond to someone. A stranger coming to us, talking about this. So that's what's going on here. So Jesus is he's going to uh, inject himself into the conversation. Verse 16. But they, it says here, uh, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were... Uh, prevented from recognizing him. So the Lord would not let them recognize who Jesus was. So they don't know who this man is. He's just a stranger. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Now that again is an odd question to ask. What are you all arguing about? What's going on here? And that's how he leads into this conversation. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? That question he's, he's asked, they probably said this somewhat arrogantly because this stranger's talking to him like, Do you not know what's going on? Do you not watch Fox News? Are you not scrolling on Facebook to see the news feeds of the world? Like, are you that clueless on what's happening? That's what they're saying to Jesus here. You have no idea, sir, what's going on. And then he says in verse 19, what things? He's leading them into this. He asked them. So they said to him, 
the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was going to be the one who was about to redeem Israel. They had these wonderful political aspirations for Jesus. They believed Jesus was going there for the greater purpose to be a great political leader, to push out the Roman army and make Israel great again. That's what they wanted with Israel. That's what they wanted with with Jesus. And, And it didn't happen. Jesus didn't come to be a political leader. He came to be a Savior. Jesus' main purpose on earth is to save us from our sins. That is why Jesus came. He came because there's all these lost people out here in the world, in our city, and Jesus came to save them. There's a saving power of, of Jesus Christ. That's the main message. So when we talk about Jesus, when we preach and proclaim the gospel, we're, we never want to miss that opportunity. I'll give you a perfect example of the saving power. You know, my son Junior, he works at Kroger. And uh, right when we came to this church, there was a young man named Joe who was coming to our youth group. And like my first year here, and Junior was like in fifth, sixth grade, and, you know, Joe came a few times. I had forgotten who he was. And Joe, unfortunately, worked at Kroger as well with Junior. And he OD'd on drugs a few weeks ago. He's alive on fentanyl, and he's barely alive at UK Hospital right now. And it's tragic. This is a 17, 18-year-old man who uh, made poor decisions and now is, is fighting for his life just right down the road from us. Five years ago, he was here at this church. Every opportunity, whether it's here in the sanctuary or whether it's in youth group or with children's ministry, We do not know who God brings before us. We want to make sure that the message that Jesus saves is the most important thing. Because there are lost people all around us. There's people here in our community, in our city, struggling with all sorts of type of addictions. All sorts of challenges. And what do we... What we want to do is to make sure that it's clearly stated that Jesus is the only hope that people have. That is it. He's not a political leader. There's no hope here with saving Israel. Only hope of saving is Jesus the one saving. So we see here, so he uses that word, I hope he came to redeem Israel. Well, he did come to redeem Israel, but it wasn't the way you were thinking of redemption. Israel, it's a personal redemption of saving all the people from their sins who trust in Jesus. That's the redemption Jesus offers, not redeeming them from from Rome. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened because they had had known Jesus had spoken about how He was going to be raised again. But He's dead. or There's rumors of Him being dead at this point. So these people are confused. They're hearing this. So it goes on to say here, verse verse 20, 
and how our chief priests and late leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Well, we were hoping he'd be the one to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported to us that they'd seen a vision of the angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women said, and they didn't see him. So remember, this last week we looked at it. The women show up on Easter morning. Jesus isn't there. He's not there. They say, hey, y'all need to send everybody ahead to Galilee, and Jesus is going to meet you there. But, no, but at this point, nobody's seen Jesus but the women. He said to them, this is what Jesus responds. So they are basically saying, we are confused. We don't know what to believe. We know and hear about Jesus, but he's not here. And in verse 25, it said, He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus reminded them, Guys, y'all have been foolish. Because if you start in your Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, starting in Genesis, Jesus took his Bible and started showing to these two disciples, here's where all the scriptures say about me. Here's what the Bible says about pointing me and about the resurrection and about how this was going to happen. And it says here that he interpreted them. How did Jesus point to himself? He used the same book we read from now. The Bible points to Jesus. The Old Testament prophesied about this resurrection. Jesus' purpose was to be the Savior because God knew in the Old Testament sacrificial system it wasn't going to be sufficient enough for for the animals. Animal sacrifice would not be sufficient for the whole world to be saved. So Jesus is using the Bible to share the good news with them. They came near a village where they were going, and he gave an impression that he was still going farther. So Jesus is acting like, I've got to keep going. Y'all are just going to stop here in Emmaus because it's getting dark, but I've got to keep going to Galilee. But these two people urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. So Jesus has now gone into their home in Emmaus. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Jesus had not had a meal since Thursday night with the Lord's Supper. This was his next meal. This was the next time Jesus would eat. So he really did a long fast. I mean, this is, he didn't eat from Thursday night all the way to Sunday night. Jesus had a fast here. And so now this is his next meal. And he's with these two people in Emmaus. And all of a sudden, it says, Then their eyes were opened. Folks, their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. What that means, his eyes were opened. One of the things we need, one of the things we need to be praying for is for the Lord to open up our eyes. In our 845 service, there's a couple who sits over there, 
And six weeks ago, I went to their home. I was visiting with them because uh, sweet lady's battling cancer, and I was praying with them. And even though uh, she's battling cancer, I was uh, talking to them about their family. And they're worried about uh, their uh, daughter and son-in-law. Their son-in-law doesn't go to church, and he's not interested in things of God. This was six weeks ago. So really, the prayer time was not so much for her, it was for her son-in-law, who lives north of here, not too far, but was concerned about his spiritual well-being. So we started praying for his salvation. Well, I spoke to her on the phone two days ago, and she said, Daniel, I want you to know, my son-in-law, who has not gone to church in decades, hasn't had any desire for the Lord, his home church, and she wasn't aware of what he had been doing, he had been going to church just recently, and last Sunday on Easter, he received believer's baptism. That is an answer to prayer. That's what it means that your eyes are open. All of a sudden, mom or dad realize our children aren't where they need to be. Their eyes need to be open. They need to see that there's more than uh, sitting around playing on social media all day. There's more than sports all the time. There's more than just watching movies and television. God has created us for Him he wants to open up our eyes so we see Him as a Savior. We see our greatest need, who He is, and the Lord is in the saving business. So, one of our prayers should be, if you, know, if you have a spouse, if you have a, a child or a grandchild, that they're, they're not saved, they're not in church, they're just in rebellion, they have drug problems, they have alcohol problems. And folks, that's where the world leads you to. It's, it just it goes down that road. Do you know, um, you know our, our um, teenagers went, Sherry, Zach's in Mexico right now, Zach Bauer, and, and Kelly King and Sherry Osmond uh, went to call the, we had 11 or 12 uh, girls go to this new place called Main Event this past week. And I said, Sherry, how, uh, how was it when she got home at 11 o'clock, you know, really late after 11 o'clock? How was it? And she said, well, it's, uh, she had a blast. It's a lot of fun. I said, was it still open when y'all left? left? And I said, she said, yes, it stays open to 2 a.m. 2 a.m. They say, now you wonder, I said, what would people be doing? I, my next question, I said, Sherry, do they serve alcohol there? And she said, absolutely, they serve it there. And because I want to explain why places like the main event here in our city that stays open to 2 a.m. do that. Because there are people in our community who go to places like that and they will stay at a bar till 2 a.m. And do you know what they're doing? They're drinking their problems away. And the message of Jesus Christ, He has come to redeem and to save people from that lifestyle. says, that is not what you need to be doing. You don't need to be drinking yourself into a bar to two and three and more. I remember my mother growing up. She would tell me, says, Daniel, nothing good happens after midnight. Did y'all know that? After midnight, that is still a fact today. There's just good, what, what good goes on at one and two in the morning? Where do you need to be at two and three in the morning? Just nothing good happens in the middle of the night. But our city, as you know, it is, it is busy at that time. And the gospel needs are immense. 
the alcoholism, the drinking, the drugs, and what we do is a message, a gospel message. He comes here and he opened their eyes. He used the scriptures. He pointed people to himself. And the Bible says the moment he broke that bread, he disappeared. You know, Jesus, he didn't want to finish his walk all the way to Galilee, so he just vanished right there. He reappears in Galilee is where he shows up at. But look what their response is. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That's what Christ does to you. When you get saved, when you put Christ first in our life, he puts a burning desire in your heart. Are you, does your heart, are you on fire for the Lord? Do you leave the sanctuary? Are you excited for Jesus? Do you, do you walk out daily and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad unto it. Because you know, I'm going to live today for Jesus. I'm here for the Lord. Our prayer, your prayer this morning for this message, that the Lord open up your eyes and He puts a burning fire for himself so what does it look like with a burning fire he's talking about this burning fire all of a sudden burning fire is you think about the word of god you have a desire for god maybe you've been dull maybe you wake up and you're thinking about what's next what do i have to do at work what's next at school just getting through the day no these people here met the lord and they were passionate for him it was different when you think it not only that, burning fire, all of a sudden you look for opportunities to share the gospel. One of the greatest things we get to do is tell a lost person how to be saved. There's so many lost people around us. All here in our city. You don't need to go to Arizona. You don't need to go to Louisville. Right here in our community are lost people. In your neighborhood, in your home, many ways. And you and I are witnesses to these people. We are constantly pointing people to Jesus That's what a burning heart looks like. And not only that, a burning heart means every decision we make honors the Lord. Every decision. And it says, it goes on to say, they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while He was talking with us on the road and explaining the Scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. So they had just walked seven miles. Then they go back outside and they walk seven miles back to Jerusalem. And look what they do. This is what happens when you're excited for Jesus Christ. They get up. They go back to Jerusalem. They find the eleven in verse 33. And all those that have been gathered. Eleven's eleven disciples. Judas has committed suicide. So the eleven remaining disciples. And they go in and say in verse 34, The Lord is truly raised and has appeared to Simon. Because rumor has that He appeared to Peter. But nobody really could confirm it. And then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. That is what we call a testimony. They were excited about their faith. And they went and began to share it with other people. Do you have a testimony like that to share? When is the last time you had a burning heart for the Lord? When has God opened your eyes? Do you know one of the things that describes, the Bible describes what the devil does to us. He blinds our eyes. We have been blinded by the devil. And what blinded means is we see things that are not important. They're just not important. 
we think they might be important, but to the Lord they're not important. And we could go down a list of all the unimportant things. What's important to God is our relationship with Him. What's important to God is our love and our desire for Him. One of the neat things that Jesus said, and I want to pull it back out, in verse 25, and this will be our last verse we look at, we read. Verse 25, when He was rebuking them, look what He said to them. He said, how foolish you are, because they were discouraged, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Jesus used the word slow. Slow. Slow means when God speaks to you, you don't respond right away. Slow means when God has given you an opportunity to witness or invite someone to church for whatever reason you don't do it. Slow means you're just poking along spiritually. And Jesus is looking at you and I and saying, what are you waiting for? Like, Christ is alive. The tomb is empty. There's no reason to be slow. There's no reason to be hesitant to believe the Scriptures. There's no reason for you not to be, have a passion and a burning fire for the Lord. A lot of us spiritually. Folks, it's not that we don't believe, it's just we're slow. Because these were disciples. These people were wanting to see Jesus. And they, just for, they were going through slow motion. We have an invitation. We close our service here in a minute. For whatever reason, we're slow to respond. Sometimes we go through our week, we're just, we're just slow. We're slow to even make it to church on Sunday. We don't even go to Sunday school because we're going in slow motion. And it's just living a life of slowness. And Christ is looking and saying, what, what are we waiting on spiritually? So this morning, I asked you, has Jesus Christ opened your eyes? Because He opened their eyes right here. He opened their eyes to show that He is the most important thing. And our prayers should be, if you have family members who do not know the Lord, God, open their eyes. I, our second thing, we want to be praying, based on this passage, spiritually in our life, Lord, do I have a burning desire? Is my heart on fire? Is my church on fire? Is my Sunday school class, my pastor, like, are the people around me passionate about God? You know how you know somebody's passionate about God? They talk about God all the time. People who, who love the Lord talk about the Lord. If you have family members and people at work who never talk about the Lord, never say anything about Jesus, that's probably because they don't ever think of Him. He's just not on top of their mind. He's not a priority. But you give somebody who saturates themselves in the Word of God that like, has a prayer life that's praying for people to get saved, you will know because it flows out of their heart. And not only that, and what happened here, these two people, it says they went back to Jerusalem and they began to tell everything that happened. That's called a testimony. When is the last time? When do you share your testimony? You know what's powerful about a testimony? It's not based on science. It's not based on logic. It's not based on any argument. A testimony is your personal experience. Here is what God has done in my life. Here's how the Lord used me. Here's how the Lord saved me. Here's how the Lord delivered me. Here's how the Lord healed me. Here's how the Lord all of a sudden picked me up from being discouraged and put me on standing ground so I could serve Him. Every one of us should have a type of testimony. You know the most fearful thing that could ever happen in church is your pastor asks you to share a testimony on Sunday morning. Some of us, y'all would miss that Sunday if you were scheduled for it. But you know what? If you are saved, 
every one of us has a testimony. A testimony is your life before you met Jesus, when you met Jesus, and your life since you've been a believer. These two people on the Emmaus Road had a testimony that they met the risen Lord. He showed them in the Scriptures. They opened their eyes and they had a burning heart for God. I'm going to lead us in a a closing prayer. I'm going to pray for these things in your life and we aren't going to be slow to respond to God. We're going to boldly respond to God this morning. So let's bow our heads and pray. God, I pray for all the people here this morning. Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Lord, we want to have a burning heart, a burning passion for You. Lord, help us have a testimony to go out and boldly share with those who need to get saved. Lord, there's so many people in our wonderful city with gospel needs. People who are just struggling. And Lord, they need a Savior. Lord, You are our only hope. Thank You, Jesus, for revealing Yourself to these two in the Scriptures. An example for us that we can do, be the likewise have the same type of desire for you. Lord, I pray for all the people here that these words will be sealed in our hearts and we will be changed by what your word says. The scriptures are alive and they're true. Jesus, this invitation, none of us need to ever be slow. We need to boldly run down this aisle and say, I want to get saved. I want my eyes to be open. I want to be a believer in you, Lord. Lord, this is our invitation that we respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're about to close our worship service, as we do here at Broadway Baptist Church, with a public invitation. Jesus calls us publicly to follow him. and We don't want to be slow. He used that word slow. We don't want to be that. We want to be fast. We want to boldly, quickly, suddenly come to the Lord. This is our time. If you want to get saved this morning, I close this service. I'll be standing down front. You come take my hand and say, Pastor, I want to get saved. This is also our time. We have, God's really been blessing our church with baptism. Our next baptism service is going to be next month. If you want to get baptized in our next group, you come take my hand and say, Pastor, I want to be in the group to get baptized next month in May. Also, you need to be a part of our church. Everyone needs to be a member of Broadway Baptist Church. You walk this aisle and say, it's time to join the church. And you make it public and being, this is my church home. So we're going to stand together and we're going to respond to the gospel. Beecher's going to lead us in our song. I'll be standing down front. We respond to Jesus this morning.